0: Welcome aboard the pirate ship at the Reeve Gauche and to the Captain's Table podcast. Brought to you by Are You Not Entertained and our great friends at Loch Lomond Whiskey's. I'm Giles Morgan. I'm not actually a captain or indeed a pirate, but a vague ancestor of my family, Captain Henry Morgan, actually was one, and his family all came from Wales as well. For 30 years, I have been lucky enough to travel all over the world as a boring old marketing suit in the sports industry, which included having arguably the best job in the world as head of sponsorship at HSBC. Along that journey, I got to rub shoulders with the good, the bad, and the ugly from the world of sport. And having ditched the pinstripe suit for breeches and the red waistcoat and cutlass that befits a pirate captain, I set out to create this podcast where every fortnight I simply ask my special guests from the world of sport to share their own personal memories of being a sports fan and how that passion has affected and shaped their lives. And ahoy there my hearties and welcome back on board my pirate ship the Reeve and for another episode of The Captain's Table. My guest this week is known universally as GMAC. The winner of the 2010 US Open, an 11-time winner on the European Tour, four PGA Tournament wins and four Ryder Cup appearances, Graham McDowell has been one of the leading Northern Irish golfers in the past 15 years. He is a man of many parts. He is an engineering graduate, a restaurateur, a lifelong Manchester United fan, and now a father of three. It's really good of him to take the time to join us on the show. And I can hear his elfin footsteps on the gang's prank right now. So let's welcome him to the captain's table. Graham McDowell, welcome on board the Reeve Ghosh and to the captain's table podcast. Please pull up a chair and make yourself at home.
1: I will. Jalo. nice to see you and uh,
0: it's a lovely, lovely ship you have here, my friend you're very sweet i had it polished and varnished just for you um those bags of course you bought quite a lot of them they they'll be taken to your cabin by my steward paul um but where are all of the the pets that we have on board we've got dogs we've got cats we've got parrots we've got everywhere but i think you've got a dog have you brought have you brought Chappie along? chappy along Chappie hasn't made it uh today
1: he's actually down at the vet right now he's swallowed something else he's a uh, he's a 10 month old uh, boxer puppy great little dog i've actually never had a puppy before when i met my wife she had two little pugs you know which is uh, very apt for for you know our theme tune captain Pugwash, right you know we had two little two little pugs but they were about four or five years old when i met them and they're actually very well behaved but uh my first puppy god he's a he's a menace he really is. I mean, he, he eats everything and uh, he's a regular down at the vet for an x-ray of his stomach to see if, uh, to see what's in there, you know? So it's, it's always very exciting waiting for the x-ray X-ray to come back and kind of like looking at it closely going, hmm,
0: what do we have here? It's like an archeological dig. You don't know what you're going to get out. Well, you'll, you'll, you'll meet uh, the, the the ship's dog is called Bruce. He's a nine month old Labrador that my listeners know well. He is similarly eating absolutely everything, currently working on his second sofa and third dining room table. <laughs> it's a bloody nightmare. Yeah.
1: No, I, I keep a close eye on Chappie just to make sure that he can't swallow a golf ball yet because, <laughs> I mean, obviously when he's in my garage, there's plenty of strixons uh, running around and he has a chew at them. Uh, Thankfully, good. he cannot ingest them
0: yet. Not yet. Well, it's only a matter of time. Um, Graham, I need to get you a drink. Very, very rude of me. Now, usually pirates and they're, they're offer of their crew and guests... Um, Gallons of rum, but this is a slightly classier ship, so the usual tipple of choice is therefore Loch Lomond Scotch Single Malt. So you get this Scotch. How do you take yours? Do you have it with ice water, ginger ale, Coke, orange juice, Red Bull? Mm. How how, how can we get it for you? I'm 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 pretty neat. I mean, I'm
1: I'm like a one cuber, or or even just neat. To be honest with you, I like to uh, I like a little punch. I like a little punch in my uh, in my Scotch
0: very good well paul paul the steward will get you one i think we'll just give you one ice cube just just to sort of it's it's warm out there um enough of this utter nonsense um early days graham mcdowell we know you as a golfer you've been pretty good you're a major winner all the rest of it but i'm not that interested in golf as well you know i'm interested in you growing up as a as a kid growing up in in northern ireland what was your earliest sporting memory as as a kid as a young boy what, what sort of ignited the, the the flame for you not in golf but just sport
1: yeah I mean the 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 milk Cup was one of the big sporting events that we had up in the north coast of Ireland when I was growing up so you'd have the Ryan Giggs as the world and the Beckhams and you know they'd all it's like an under I want to say the milk cup's under 18 I, I think it is and Manchester United would send a team over and internationals from all over the world would come you know South Americans and that was a was a hugely you know important junior global f- football tournament. Um, so that was always, you know, so, so football was one of those things, you know, we had, we had a set of goals painted onto the the, the side of a, a house on the, on the estate that I lived when I was growing up. And, uh, you know, depending on whether anyone was home or not, they might come out and tell us to piss off or, uh, <laughs> you know, we could continue our, our football game, but, um, you know, there was always a football being kicked about, um, We had a great little five-a-side indoor pitch that we would, you know, play on a sort of Saturday evening youth club. And and, uh, one of the church association groups that I was always always involved in was called the Boys Brigade, which was supposed to be, you know, marching and gym work and Bible study, but it normally um, dissolved into, uh, you know, lots of of indoor football. So, you know, I think uh, my early days – you know, sort of the years of sort of six, seven through 12, twelve, thirteen. It was mainly football. Golf and who is, starting a can?
0: Who is your club? You're you're a man, you fan, aren't you? I'm a Manchester United
1: fan by default. Um, my dad, my dad was a massive red, and my older brother is actually named George after George Best. I think it was probably hard to grow up in in Northern Ireland in the seventies and eighties. 60-70s probably and not be and not be a Manchester And not be a George Best, not be, you know, taken by what you know who he was. I mean, it was a it unfortunately the career didn't have a very long lifespan because you know he fell down the um the northern Irishness, the the social rabbit hole that unfortunately we you know we as a nation, I think the Irish people, I think um, it's why people love us, and it's why I think some, some of our, you know, more famous celebrities have potentially had a self-destruct button a little bit, you know, and um, you know, George Bass was obviously fell, uh, fell fall to that one a little bit, unfortunately. But um, you know, like I say, my dad was a massive George Bass fan uh, named my older brother, George. And, and that was the end of that really. And uh, you know, funnily enough, he had never been Old Trafford. My dad, you know, you know, we, we, you know, pretty, pretty a family of, of small means. My my mom and dad were hardworking people. I barely ever left the country. I had barely ever, you know, barely ever been in an airplane until you know I was in my late teens, early twenties. And I mean, I was probably the first real, you know, as we board the ship, you know, and travel you know, in the seven seas. I mean, I was probably one of the first travelers in my family really, you know, regards a guy that wanted to get on airplanes and see the world a little bit and go to, go to America and go to college and, and do all that stuff. But I think I, I think I got my dad to old Trafford. I think I was probably 22, 23. I just turned pro Shelby Chandler was managing me out of Manchester and that we had access to some nice tickets and stuff. And, uh, you know, taking my dad to Old Trafford was one of the cool. Was one of the cool, really, really cool days of my life. You know, because it was just one of those things that he'd always, uh, you know, the theater of dreams, right? Is it was, it was something he'd always dreamed of.
0: Absolutely, and and being a sort of inherited Manchester United fan from your dad, who were the the first uh, Manchester United gods that the young GMAC absolutely fell in love with of your uh, that you looked at and went, these are these are the gods.
1: Yeah. I mean, I would say it was, um, you know, the old school, the Pallisters and the Irwins and the you know, into the Keens and uh, you know, the Mark Hughes and, 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 you know, Kanchelskis on the right wing and, you know, gigs on the left, you know, it was that mid nineties kind of, kind of, you know, the hot streak that United went on. And I mean, obviously it was a fantastic time to be a Manchester United fan. And, uh, you know, someone would ask you what, you know, what team you supported in my twenties and you know, you'd be Manchester United. They'd be like, ah, but of course you're a Manchester United fan. But I mean, it literally was by default. I had no choice in the matter. in, in in my early days and, uh, like I say it was great to be a Manchester United fan in those days
0: and was there one player who was on your bedroom wall there was was there one player that you absolutely worshiped or there were so many of course of that crop but was there yeah, one I mean that- there
1: were so there were there were so many but I mean you know they you know I definitely it was you know I remember the old Panini sticker books back in the day you know I mean I remember going down to the news agents every weekend. I'd pick up my Bino, and and my little brother would get the dandy. And I, you know, we'd get our stickers, our sticker packs and trying to complete our, uh, try and complete our books. You know, that was, um, that was, uh, I mean, that was like the early Pokemon or the early, I don't know what the equivalent would be on social media these days, but uh, I mean, that was, that was cool stuff. But I mean, you know, Mark Hughes, Mark Hughes was probably the man, numbered ten. you know, kind of, you know, the old, Hard literally the, the, the old striker you know i mean just uh he, you know he was the man you know so uh you know then it became like the keynotes and the backhams and that kind of stuff the obvious ones the gigs but uh you know i think mark hughes probably back in my very very early days you know steve bruce you know those guys yeah. but mark hughes you know banging them in the back of the net he was probably the guy we all kind of worshiped a little bit in the in, in the mid 90s
0: yeah absolutely and then- what age were you what was the first sort of sporting event in a stadium a big stadium small stadium that you went to was it in the states when you went to university or was it a bit earlier that you went and saw you know watching 15 20 000 people spectator event do, do you remember the, that first yeah, moment you, of- you, you, you know funnily enough i mean we just didn't really didn't have access to like
1: professional sport you know um i mean ireland's obviously it's football scene is pretty low key. I mean, Coleraine where were our nearest sort of, you know, Irish and, you know, the, the, the nearest decent team. And I mean, I wouldn't really, you know, i would probably sat in the, sat in the, the bleachers a few times and watch them, but I mean, they weren't particularly riveting stuff, you know? So, I mean, apart from the Milk cup, which was played on in, in very small stadiums, like you say, when I, when I first came to college in the States, I think the biggest sporting event I'd ever been to was a college football game. And it was, um, LSU Louisiana State against Mississippi State. Uh, it was in LSU, and it was a night game. And we were we were in town playing LSU's golf tournament, and our coach was an LSU alumni, and he took us to the game. You know, and I mean, I had no idea, I had no clue about American football in those days. I mean, I love it; it's it is literally one of my favorite sports to this day. Um, but I remember going in thinking college. I mean, it's not that big a deal, you know. One hundred ten thousand people <laughs> in this stadium, night game. You know all the kind of um tailgating before the parties, the barbecues, you know, the beers, everyone was just in this party atmosphere before they went into the game, which is such an unusual culture because it's not something you know, it's not something you know, sort of you know going to football games in the uk and Ireland, I mean you know people go there and they you know they have their pie and their pint at halftime and 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 they leave, you know, whereas in America, everything is so big and it's like, you know, you party before and you go and watch the game and, and it's just an amazing, an amazing event, you know? So, uh, that was probably one of the, you know, at the time I've never really thought about it, but, uh, that, that was a probably the biggest sporting event I'd ever been to.
0: And do you still go to, um, big sporting events if you can, do you go to NFL matches or, or things now as an adult, as a, as a, yeah. as a grown up? Yeah, I do.
1: I do. I, um, what was the last NFL game I went to? I mean, obviously this past season has just been a complete washout with the whole COVID. You know, we had Tom Brady down the road at Tampa Bay winning the Super Bowl, And I wasn't even able to get down to a game, which was just ridiculous. But I think the last game I went to, um, it was when Tom Brady played for the New England Patriots. It was the opening game against the Steelers in the 1920 season. And we went up to Gillette stadium up in Boston, which was a really cool experience. Tom Brady, um, yeah, I, pl- I played several runs of golf with him. I stay in touch with him. He's a, it's just a classy human being. Very, very hard not to be respectful for what he's what he's done and what he's achieved. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of don't have an NFL team that I, that I follow. I have just met so many of the guys that I end up following the guys and, and, uh, you know, the Aaron Rodgers and, and the Alex Smiths and the Tom Brady's and, and guys like that, you know, and Mark Ingrams and, and those kind of guys. So, uh, no, I love it. I, I mean, I try and get to a game every season if I can. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, I love, I, I love the idea, you know, I love sporting events. I mean, you know, you were with HSBC and you probably, um, contributed to, you know, one of my bucket listers, which was going to the man's final at Wimbledon. Um, my caddy, Kenny Conboy won, you know, Caddy of the Year in two thousand ten when I when I won the yeah. US Open and his prize by HSBC, which was fantastic, was tickets to the men's final in Wimbledon. So, you know, he took his wife and I decided to, you know, bring my wife to be over at the time and we all went to we all went to it. And it was uh just one of those, you know, it's a bucket list, or, you know, I'd say in the top 10 where, you know, your world cup final, um, hundred meter sprint at the Olympic games, um, you know, the super bowl, um, you know, the men's final at Wimbledon and is in that top five to top 10 sporting events that you'd want to be at. I mean, I think as, as professional athletes, I think we're always intrigued by other sports because. You know we know our sports inside and out and we know what it takes to kind of and you nearly become so blasé and so like laid back about you know what other athletes and other people would view our sport as you know incredibly complex and high level but it becomes so second nature to you that you, you take it for granted you take it for granted what it takes to be you know at the top level and back now on sunday at major championship but you're always intrigued by these other sports and what it takes and what these guys think and what they feel and what the training's like and what the mentality's like. And, uh, you know, I think that's why, you know, there, there are some bucket listers that I still, still have out there that I want to do.
0: Have you ever cried watching sports given that intensity of sport? Are you, are you moved emotionally? Can you be, you know, I think, you know,
1: I've cried watching golf just because, you know, the guys intimately. You know, anytime, and I mean, this is one of my visuals as I take into my 40s. When you watch a guy win something big and his kids are there, his wife and kids are there. I mean, that's, that that just gets me every time. You know, Tiger, when he won, you know, the 19 Masters and, you know, it was that turning back the years, you know, to when he hugged his dad in 97, 96, 97. And then when he's hugging his son, when he walked off the 18th green in, in, in 2019, that's the cool stuff. You know, that's the, that's the really, really, you know, that's the humanizing moments, I suppose. Sort of other sports, you know, not knowing them as intimately and stuff. It, it It's, I'm trying to think has anything ever moved me the same way? You know, um, can't really think of it. Like I say, I don't watch much golf for me because typically I would like to be there myself and <laughs> unless, you know, I'm having a weekend off or I'm missing a major or I miss a cut one of my buddies or something intriguing is happening like yesterday at Bay Hill when Westy Westy's up there, um, you know, Shambo and, you know, obviously everything he's doing, um, you know, you flip, flip the golf on because you actually do care. And, you know, you want to see, I, lo- I love seeing emotion, you know, and, and Westy's a really good example. You know, we obviously, you know, both, both know him very well. And I think he's done your podcast with you. Um, you know, what he's achieving into his mid forties, it is obviously very inspiring for a guy like me as I move into my 40s. Um, you know, it's amazing what can happen when you stay healthy and you stay more importantly, mentally fresh and mentally motivated. And obviously Lee has been quoted as saying that, you know, he actually cares less about golf now than he ever did, like in a very healthy way. And uh you know it's like it's shown, hasn't good, it
0: it's it's shown that he's got his balance in a in a very good way it seems to for be. sure you know, having Helen on the bag and you
1: know his kids are growing up, and his kids can be with him when he travels from time to time. he's got all those ducks in a row, you know, and you know it's amazing when you see guys be at peace with the personal life and it kind of runs into the professional life and not, that's the same in all walks of life and all businesses and, and everything we see, and obviously it you know works you know incredibly well in sport as well that's uh when you've got things under control personally, um, it gives you an opportunity to to be able to perform at a very high level and, a, and at a level like Lee says, you know, where you can disconnect yourself from the outcome because it doesn't matter. Your kid's not really going to care; they're going to love you anyway. And, and you know, that's that. That's what I, I'm trying to channel those type of vibes right now.
0: Well, talking of so sort of healthy balance and whatever, let's say that Old Trafford is your favourite stadium in the world, and it must be because you're a you're a red. And I, you've invited me along because I've leached along for the ride. But at halftime, Manchester United are two 0 up, say, mm-hmm. against Liverpool, say. And I, we're going to go, we're going to go and grab some food at halftime and a pint. What is the GMAC Sin Stadium food that you can have <laughs> with GILO? Well I
1: mean what is it Roy
0: Keane said you know prawn
1: sandwiches up there in the corporate hospitality <laughs> no, no we're not we're, we're, not, not, going, we're, we're not, going, not doing, doing
0: hospitality hospital. we're not doing hospitality
1: we're, we're not going for prawn sandwiches I mean listen there's nothing better than a meat pie is there I mean like <laughs> I mean it's such an english thing you know it's not like a it's so, so you know irish just don't think i always tell people i don't think the irish are renowned for their food you know we're not we're not a culinary nation we're a we're a liquid liquid lunch <laughs> nation i feel like you know a pint of guinness is it, it that is that is cuisine right um but like a I meat pie i mean a cornish pasty and, and a pint you know i mean is and there anything more,
0: that's probably fine isn't it we'll be fine a, a, i think
1: Pint of Guinness and maybe, maybe one for the road is <laughs> two, <laughs> two very swift pints of Guinness. How, how long do we have a halftime? 15 minutes. Well, we, we get 15
0: uh, minutes and then a walk up. I think we can get two pints in and a meat pie. That's perfect.
1: I mean, uh, I, I took, I took my wife to the Super Bowl. We, we weren't married at the time, but it was 2011. And I mean, Americans are just different. I mean, when you go to a, when you go to an American football, my NFL game, like you can have a five course meal, you know, it's not, it's not like old Trafford and you're sitting in the regular seats and you go out and you have a pint and you have a pie, or a bag of crisps, and it's simple. It's effective. And you go back and you sit down and you watch the rest of the game. I mean, American sport is a full experience, you know, and there's just everything going on. I want to say she had popcorn, peanuts, nachos <laughs> and cheese, hot dog, that Coke might've had a beer in there. You know, it (laughs) was, it was just, (laughs) there's just, you know, it's, uh, and I think that's uh, American sport is, it's an experience and it's not just about the game, which is good and bad for me. I, I love, I love, there's something raw about rugby and football and, 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 you know, the, the, you know, the, the GAA sports in Ireland and there's something raw, about just going to a game, Simply because you love the game. America, I feel like it's the entertainment capital of the universe. People go to sporting events not just to be entertained by the sport, you know.
0: I was going to ask you: do you is your favorite place to watch sport live to go to the stadium and just immerse yourself in the live event, or do you like watching in the pub or at home? I think, I, I think, kind
1: of what what I've realized since I lived full time in America now, and I haven't been to Old Trafford in ten years. I, I'm. I'm not a football fan anymore. I don't follow Manchester United to the same intensity that I did because I miss, I miss that connection. The last game I ever went to was United City, sat in the director's box with my wife and we were going up to meet uh, Fergie after the game. Never done it before. It was really cool. And Kristen had never been to a game before. City beat them (laughs) 6-0. So, so we're sitting up, we're sitting up in the family box after the game, kind of all looking around thinking to ourselves, you know, Ferguson's down, given, given the full hairdryer treatment to the team. As we as we stand there, kind of twiddling our thumbs, thinking to ourselves, is Alex even going to show up here? This is going to be a disaster. And I mean, half an hour later, and he comes and I mean, he's great. You know, he comes out and says hello and he comes over to me and introduced him to Kristen and, uh, you know, he's he, he's he's in he's in decent form, considering you know. And I and I tell him that it was Kristen's first ever game, and he said, "Well, hopefully it will be her last if that's <laughs> how we're going to play when she shows up." You know, so um,
0: oh, I, I do.
1: I, mi- I miss I miss the in person experiences and and like when you go to like a music concert, you can go see you two. Probably the last concert I've been to. It gives you such a such an intense appreciation for what it is you're listening to. And I think that's what I miss when it comes to, to Manchester. I miss the intense appreciation for seeing it in person. I mean, yeah. it's fantastic watching it on TV, but it's not the same. I, I miss, true. I miss that connection.
0: Now we get to the midpoint of this, uh, of this show, which, um, as you know, Loch Lomond whiskeys who are the spirit of the open golf championship. So I've got to ask you a few questions about golf. Firstly, what is your finest open championship moment? One moment.
1: Um, it's a good question. Um, I think Lytham in 2012. I played in the last group uh, with Adam Scott. I think Ernie was a group or two in front of us. You know, just to be out there in the last group on Sunday, um, play as well as I did that week uh, was was pretty special. Um, I love the Open.
0: And what's your favorite um, think, course on the rotor? Uh, I think you know Lytham's up
1: there, Brookdale. Um, St Andrews. St Andrews is so special. So is one of those golf courses that if it was designed tomorrow, I think said architect may get hung, drawn, and quartered and never, never get another job ever again in their whole life. But like, it's such, it's such a golf course. And I mean, the more you play, I'm sure you've played it a few times, the more you play it, the more you discover angles and the more you discover just kind of ways to play the golf course. Uh, yeah. The open championship sounders doesn't get any better coming up, you know, 17 and 18, 17 is the hardest second shot on the planet and uh, 18 is uh is just so cool
0: yeah well I, 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 every golf course is a challenge to me but i must say standing up on the first tee for any golfer i don't care who you are whether you're you or whether you're me knowing that every great has stood there mm-hmm. and, and looked no, down no. that fairway it, it, walking it is... down
1: the first fairway in that first 17th, 18th corner of St andrews it's a religious experience Mm-hmm. in golf and there aren't many religious experiences you know where you just feel like you are following in historical footsteps um 7 at Pebble um you know 18 at Pebble um you know Augusta Amen Corner there there's very few little pockets of you know like i said the religious experiences in golf where you just know that you're in special in special kind of uh, atmosphere
0: I've always thought that one of the best things about being a golfer, and obviously I've mixed with you lot for, for a lot of my life, but I've always thought it must be fascinating that you get, it, particularly in pro-ams, but around the world, you get to play with some really interesting people, myself notwithstanding. Have you, <laughs> you, you mentioned Tom um, Brady. Have you played with other people where you couldn't believe that you, the pro, was playing with someone like a, a hero, a sporting hero, a political hero, just someone who went, I can't believe, I'm getting to play golf with them.
1: Mm. I mean, I've played with a president who who will rename
0: nameless. Um, uh, I mean, obviously, and is that nerve wracking? Is that nerve wracking to play with someone like a president of the United States? You who are the pro, you who mm. know how to hit the ball straight. D- d- does it make you kind of your pulse quicken a bit?
1: It is one of those kind of pinch yourself moments. I mean, I, I think I've had, you know, I've I played, several runs of golf where you're playing with guys, you're just like, this, this is just so cool. You know, this is like, you know, when I was 10 years old hitting the golf ball, did I ever think that the journey would take me to here where I'd be on a golf course with a guy like this, you know, CEOs of industry, you know, actors, you know, Dennis Quaid, um, you know, like Chris O'Donnell, Ray Romano, Ray Romano was, I played with him in the, one of my first ever at Pebble Beach Pro-Oms. And I mean, you know, really cool. You know, Bill Murray played pro am Bill Murray at the Irish open. I mean, you know, he, he goes full caddy shock on me on the 17th tee, you know, Cinderella story, you know, tears in his eyes, I guess. And I'm just like going like, this is so cool, you know? And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, I've always, you know, I've always been a guy who takes the pro-om start of the business very seriously because I mean, you know, I mean, I think, uh, I think growing up in Europe, as opposed to the PGA tour, PGA tour, there's so much, the financial model is so much stronger. The guys have to work a little, they don't have to work as hard for the financial rewards. I feel like on the European tour, I think we, we traveled more. Uh, We had relationships with companies like HSBC. When you were there, we were, you know, we were sort of intuitively aware of the value that we, are supposed to bring to a sponsor. And, and I think it was good. It was great lessons in my early career um, to, to understand that the pro on a Wednesday is something that is extremely important to the sponsor and the three or four guests that they're putting with you, you're there to show them a good time. And if you don't, you're not doing your job. So, you know, I think I've always enjoyed you know, I stay enjoyed. I mean, you know, you have the odd pro-am where, you know, you get three guys that can't play the game and they're not having a good day. More importantly, it doesn't matter if, if, if you know, anyone that ever plays golf with me, I don't care how badly they play. If they have a good time and they hit a couple of good shots and shoot the shit and like, we're having fun. Uh-huh. then that's okay. That's It's a good day. Whereas you get that guy that just beats himself up all day. Uh, I mean, I'm normally better than this. Uh, you know, like on the phone to his coach. Yeah. You know, that's like, <laughs> you know, like, come on, dude. This you you know, you're, this is just fun. You know, we're playing one of the greatest golf courses on earth here. We're just, we're here to have an experience. You know, it's not about, it's not about shooting a score.
0: So who's in your, you can have a team, um, a team of four of which you're captain, players fellow professionals friends whatever who's in your dream in your dream team the three your who's your three picks to go around a golf course with um
1: like just anyone from anyone. me doesn't even have be you golfers nah. yeah from, from people that i've met in my life um you know i don't know i mean i think there'll be a there'll be a president in there i mean like a like a bush or a i don't know you know 39 who was bush senior just seems like he would have been a really interesting guy to hang out with you know he just seems smart and, you know just kind of guy like that and then you know maybe from you know tom brady i mean he, he's always fun to play with Good just golfer. Amazing, you know, he's a
0: good golfer isn't he
1: good golfer just fun to be with you know smart guy really um interesting to kind of talk to and um you know we'll put bill murray in there just for, for for fun and games you know just because there's never a dull moment and uh That's you know we'll have a we'll we'll have a laugh you know yeah, so we've got laugh. the we've got the you know grace of all we've got the goat in there and then we've got a you know i've got a president in there and we got we got some we got some humor in there and hopefully we can have a beverage at the turn and that would be a great day right there
0: that's a good good team. And tell me, who's your best mate on tour of players? I mean, I know you've got lots because you're that kind of bloke, but do you have one, particularly when you were younger, maybe, who was Mm. your sort of go-to mate who kind of got you through the shit days and the, you know, if you didn't make the cut or whatever?
1: Yeah, I mean, it was really geographical back in the days, you know, when I used to spend a bit of time in Manchester, Simon Dyson and I used to kind of, you know, play a lot of golf together. Um, you know, these days, Shane Lowry and I are probably, you know, we are pretty close, play a lot of practice runs together. You know, Ian Poulter and, and Henrik Stenson, they live here in the same community as I do in, in Florida and we travel a lot together and we hang out quite a lot together. So, um, you know, it's always difficult. I mean, I, you know, obviously Rory McElroy you know, we, we kind of, um, we were very close back in the early days when he first came out and he was young and green behind the ears. And, you know, I, you know, spent a lot of time with him and, you know, obviously his prodigious talent was evident from a very, very early age and played some world cups with him and played some Ryder cups with him, which was pretty special. And, uh, you know, then life gets in the way, you know, we get married and we go off and we you know start living our own lives a little bit, but, um, you know, it's, um, it's always it's always hard having very close friends out there because they're competitors as well, and you know, and I mean, that's the interesting thing about a guy like Shane Lowry, for example. I feel like when him and I play for, play for a hundred bucks on a Wednesday, he may want to beat me more than he wants to play well in the <laughs> tournament. He like <laughs> literally wants to win that match so much more intensely. He, he will he won't be half as intense on a on a Thursday. No way. There's just no way.
0: And is there a um, a player that you've seen over the, your, your your long career? who just had, and they may not be the most successful in terms of tournaments won, but just someone who you thought had talent that you just couldn't quite believe how natural ta- their talent was. Was there someone, or is it is it the obvious, is it Tiger on, on his day? But is there someone that's sort of been around, you go, Phew, you were just something, you had something from the gods?
1: Mm. I mean, unfortunately, it is a bit more obvious than you'd think, you know, it is Tiger. It is Rory McIlroy it is Adam Scott. It is, it is, you know, um, it is guys like that, you know, I mean, you know, even like a Darren Clark, for example, I mean, you know, if he hadn't won that open, you know, he would have been probably one of the biggest underachievers um, maybe that I'd ever play with because he just was so talented and so good and so impressive as a ball striker, you know and I mean? Whereas like a Westwood, you know, best player to never win a major. I mean, it's... So do you think, the,
0: that's interesting, do you think therefore, golf, in a sense, it, the, the levels rise, so those who have got extraordinary talent, they tend to get there, because even yeah. you as pros recognize it and go, they've got that something, that just... Yeah, there, is a little there's, very, there's
1: very few guys that have the something that never, never ever really get there, you know, I mean, I think um, most of them, most of them, you know, obviously there's a huge amount of mental edge to this, you know, regards the guy, there's no point in me thinking the guy's great. The guy himself has to know he's great or he has to believe he's great to be able to go out there and, uh, to, to, to execute and do the job, you know? And, uh, it is a hard game because we're measured, we're measured. are we're, we're, you know, we, we work hard on disconnecting ourselves from outcome. We were talking about Westwood earlier, you know, it's like he's doing a good job to disconnecting himself from the outcome. But at the end of the day, we're measured by our outcomes. You know, and then, like I said, Lee being you know potentially the best player to ever win a major championship at the minute. It's it's an interesting tagline because he's had a phenomenal career and he's won so many times around the world. And you know, you only get four shots at a major every year, and you know, they are they're they're hard to win. It's, it's hard to win anywhere, but you know, he is a, an incredibly prodigious winner. Um, so uh, I'd have loved to have seen him get it done there at Bay Hill because I think that would have been a nice little feather in the cap here in America, but uh, you know, to me, if he doesn't win a major, it's he, he still has to be up there one of the greatest of all time. Um, he, you know, because of just his win ratio around the world, and he continues to do it. You know, it's it's impressive.
0: And anyway, he'd be more happy about winning uh, winning at uh, uh, the GGs at Cheltenham Festival anyway. So that's actually more important to him.
1: Correct, correct. Cheltenham's <laughs> his major these
0: days. It absolutely. I think he even, he was telling me he even sets his calendar accordingly so he can make sure he doesn't miss Cheltenham. brilliant. That's living right there. That is living. Now, Graham, we come to the part of the show which I call the Captain's Broadside, where I'm going to ask you a series of relatively um, quickfire questions um, and just nothing to do with anything much. So you've come on board my beautiful ship, the Reef Gauche, and we're free to sail anywhere that your heart desires. We can go wherever you like. Where can we drop you off?
1: You know what I've never traveled to? I've never traveled to South America. I'm thinking you could drop me off in like Rio de Janeiro or something like that. I just, you know, South America, never been, never Perfect. spent any time there. I mean, I think they got some great, they got some great rum down there as well, haven't they?
0: They've got good rum and it'll take us, I think about two and a half weeks if, if we get a fine win. So we, we'll be fine. Do we, do we have um, enough Loch Lomond on board? We, we definitely do they've they've stocked the bar they knew you okay. were coming but you're as my guest at this beautiful oak table um we're going to feed you all the way down to rio um but for the first evening which will be a black tie affair um you get to choose the the um the menu and i lob in a cheese course so you don't need to worry about that it's three Perfect. courses what is the gmac three course meal that we can prepare for tonight
1: um so cheese board Oh, is always a staple, but, um, what do we have? um, you know, to me just a really good Caesar salad for a starter. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, nice homemade sauce, got a little spice, and a little mustard in it, you know, it has to be, has to be a really nice table side Caesar. And then, you know, I'm going to keep it simple for Maine, just a great steak, uh, maybe some taters of some description and uh, dessert desserts just something chocolatey, you know, like a, like a, like a chocolate ganache cake or something like that. Something chocolate with chocolate. You know, I'm a chocolatey kind of guy, you know, like a, one of those chocolate lava cakes or something like that would be lovely.
0: Well, I was going to ask you, so, um, as many of the listeners will know, you are also a restaurateur as well as a major winning golf player. And I wondered how much of your influence I've been to Nona Blue, um, Quite a lot of times, as you know. Um, I, I, I wondered how much influence, particularly at the beginning, you got to start choosing menus and stuff. And was that a real, if you did, was that a, a real thrill? It was
1: a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun having our having our research meetings in, in nice restaurants, you know, here in Florida and, you know, sampling wine lists and, and, and sampling the menu and, and just kind of shooting the breeze about what our, what our visions were. Um, you know, I partnered up with a couple of guys who were already – you know heavily involved in the restaurant business and the bar business they had they had pretty solid visions about what our concept wanted to be and um, you know I helped drive a few angles um, you know I think one of the things I put in the menu was a dessert it was a banafi pie um, <laughs> sort of like a bit of a paid homage to a great restaurant back in Port rush where I grew up uh, which was kind of the restaurant that, that inspired me to be in the restaurant business. in The first place called the Wine Bar, and they have a phenomenal banoffee pie there, and it's just to die for. And uh, and then we have then we have an Irish coffee on there, which which is my mom's recipe, so it's called Marion's Irish Coffee, and it's done the right way. You know, with a nice bit of strong coffee, some bushmills, and it has to be some you know a little bit of brown sugar in there. Stir it all up and put some really nice fresh cream on top. We'll sprinkle, will sprinkle uh, chocolate powder on top just to finish it off. So we've got Marion's Irish Coffee on there. Very tasty.
0: Very good. Sounds delicious. You've got my mouth watering. Um, you'll <laughs> also see, before we we're going to dress you up to, for dinner, we give you a beautiful on sweet cabin. And it comes with a power shower. Um, rather weirdly for a pirate ship, but there we go. But what song will you be singing in the shower? Will you, as you get yourself scrubbed up. What's the are you a are you a singer? And can you sing? And what will you be singing in the shower?
1: Yeah, I I have a fairly eclectic mix and you know, a, little, a fairly eclectic taste of music. Everything from, you know, a little Euro dance that I feel like I spent too many nights in a nightclubs in Port Rush kind of listening to all the way to classical. I mean, i think I'm sort of somewhere in the middle these days, a little alternative Coldplay U2. Yeah, probably um I'll be listening to a lot of U2 kind of on shuffle right now. I feel like I like there, there there's a u2 song called every breaking wave it's from one of their latest albums and uh,
0: very, how very appropriate for being on yeah, board it's
1: got, and, it, and it's got a great line in there i want to say the second line of the, of the song and it's kind of captivated me a little bit it says that every gambler knows that they're really there to lose which is just one of those kind of like light bulb song moments yeah it's cool cool i mean obviously bono is a uh, a pretty amazing songwriter
0: he's done all right for himself hasn't he yeah, can you okay. remember what can you remember what your first album was you ever bought
1: yeah my first album um I had uh Def Leppard Hysteria
0: oh, banging yeah, Def
1: Leppard Def, Le- Def Leppard Hysteria and I'm still a big Def Leppard guy to this day I mean I love I love some Def Leppard I actually heard uh, they're going to, they're going in concert this year they're, I think they're touring this year with uh who the hell the forget who they're touring with but they're touring with somebody this year so i may have to have a little look i mean i'd love to hear a little i mean i'm sure they're the oldest rockers in town now but uh love it to doesn't hear them matter live it doesn't cool. matter
0: <laughs> do you remember what your first live gig was
1: i do it was um it, it was actually gareth brooks gareth <laughs> brooks i mean that's a little i'm a little ashamed to admit that one i think it was it about matter. 1995 i went to a gareth brooks concert and uh I think the girl I was uh, I was going out with at the time, she got me a little bit of Gareth Brooks, and we went to, we saw him in Belfast, and uh, it was great. It was great. Like I say, you gain a a different appreciation level for the for the talents and for the music.
0: And tell me, what was your first ever car? First ever car I purchased
1: for myself. Um, after I dented my dad's old Vauxhall Cavalier several times, uh, driving up and down Ireland, chasing golf tournaments. But the first ever car I bought myself was a, I was in college in America and it was a Nissan Altima. It definitely had been in at least one accident. And um, I'll what never color? forget because what I was, color was a, it? It was a black, well, a really bad black paint job on it because I don't think the guy had done a really good job fixing it up after the accident. But uh, I remember going my last year of college, I was driving to a my first ever meeting with a uh, with an agency, well, one of the sports agencies, as I was getting ready right to turn pro, and the Nissan Ultima didn't make it to the meeting. It had smoke. Bellowing out of the uh, out of the out of the out of the engine. By the time I pulled into the to the car park, and I was like, uh, "Yeah, I, I need to turn pro. I've got no money." <laughs>
0: <laughs> and tell me, with all the successes you've had, an amazing career that you've had over uh, over the well, actually, the time I've known you, which is quite a long time. Is there something that obviously inanimate, but is there a possession or something that you've won uh, or got from your golf career or anything else that? We could perhaps, um, you know, pirate ships are built for smuggling. We, we also look after things and we can bury uh, things in tr- chests and keep them safe for all mm. times. Is there something that you've got that you just would want us to, to look after for all time that sort of is a, a keepsake of your whole career, or of, of your life?
1: Yeah, interesting. Um, you know, I think the four Ryder Cups that I have, um, they're probably, they're symbolic of you know, eight years, 10 years of, of pretty consistent golf. There was a U.S. open in the middle of that, but, um, yeah, the Ryder cups are, they're, 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 I mean, obviously we won three and we lost one. So we'll, 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 we'll take the three winning Ryder cups that, that I played in. And, uh,
0: And what do they give you for that as a Ryder cup in the winning team? Is there something that you're given? What's the memento yeah, you, that the player gets?
1: Yeah, we, we, we get like a replica of the trophy. It's just, it's a smaller version of the trophy, but, um, it gives a replica, you know, I'm not like a big, I'm not like a big keepsake guy. I mean, I like in the back of my closet, I have a lot of my old t-shirts and sweaters from the Ryder cups. I'm not really quite sure what I'm going to do with those at all. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, I'll keep a few for my son maybe, but, um, the, 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 the sort of one thing that is special to me is my golf bags from those tournaments. And I, and I do keep those. I have my Walker cup bag from, from my amateur days, my GB and I versus America, uh, that I played in 2001. And then I have my four Ryder Cup bags from eight, 10, 12 and 14. And uh, those are special keepsakes, you know, because I look at the bag and to me, that is the, you know, that, that, that is kind of, you know, there was the blood, sweat and tears. That was kind of, you know, the, the bag that was with me through thick and thin. And, um, you know, obviously when you see that GB and I are, you know, the Europe, the European flag, I mean, to represent your continent, uh, you know, one of the biggest golf tournaments in the world was, uh, was, was pretty special and uh, great reminders.
0: Well, we've got a big old boat here. We can take all of those uh, bags along, so we'll do that. Graham, I have taken up so much of your time and you've got to get ready for dinner. You can't possibly turn up for dinner looking as scruffy as we both are, so we'll have to go and change. It's been a real pleasure having you on board um, the Reef Gauche and at the captain's table. Thank you so much for for doing so. As you look around the surroundings, you can see it's a pretty puck. It's a pucker ship, this. So we do do things differently and we don't want you to leave empty-handed, so um, the lovely folks at Loch Lomond are going to also give you a bottle of their 12-year-old single malt whiskey um, as a little keepsake, which you can put Beautiful. with your golf bags uh, for, for well, we won't look after it, we'll drink it.
1: Absolutely, look forward to it, look forward to it, JLO. and uh, yeah, thanks for having me on board. Great chatting, as always, mate, I miss I miss our chats, and uh, yeah, a, a bottle of 12-year-old single sounds like a good opportunity to get together somewhere, somewhere sometime.
0: You're a top man. Graeme McDowell, thank you so much. Thanks, mate. GMAC ahead. voice alone I could just listen to all day long. What a great guest. For all our listeners, we're so grateful for your support of the show. And so we don't want you to leave with your cellars empty either. And so our very kind friends at Loch Lone Whiskies are once again giving away a bottle of the 12-year-old single malt whiskey, which is delicious. If you don't win it, go and buy it. It's so good. But to be in with the chance of winning this special bottle, head over to their Twitter page at Loch Lomond Malts and follow their instructions to enter. From all my colleagues at Are You Not Entertained, from Roger, from Grant and from James and of course Loch Lomond Whiskies, thank you for the support of the shows that we make. We're really grateful for your time and if you do get a chance please tell your friends about us and get them to find us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podfix by searching Are You Not Entertained. If you want to follow me or get in touch, you can do so on Twitter at gilesmorgan71 or via my own email at giles at gilesdmorgan.com. So until we meet again, please make sure you keep your ropes coiled neatly, your oil skeins well hung, and always keep your weevil biscuits fresh by storing them in Tupperware. Goodbye.